Welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 258. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, and Happy New Year. With me once again is my buddy. Hello. Henry's back. This is our first episode of 2021, Henry. What do you think about that? not. (laughs) Yes, it is, Henry. Look at the calendar. See? It says January. No, it doesn't. <laughs> yes, it does, Henry. No, it does. It does. Mm-mm. All right. Henry, we're speaking to the listeners from the past. We're traveling through time, through the mists. You can't believe that. To visit the far-flung future of January. Not Doctor Who. Janu- I could be Doctor Who. Mm-mm. I totally could be Doctor Who. No. Wow. 2021 is off to an argumentative start. Not unlike 2020, I might add. This episode is coming to you all on January 3rd. I was going to say that. You all are uh, recovering from your New Year's uh, celebrations by yourself. Like Um, the neighbor dude. Like the neighbor dude. (laughs) If any of you saw my social medias on Christmas Day, you know that I reported on Awakening Christmas morning, flinging open the the curtains, not unlike Ralphie from... uh, a Christmas story, and looking out on the majesty of a winter's morn. There was no snow. With there no was, snow. There was like barely any snow. No snow. But we did get the uh, the, 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 the holy sight of uh, a dude across the street getting out of his car and puking in his front yard. So, there you go. I hope he's okay. I have not seen him since. As of the time I'm recording this, uh, hopefully all is well there. He was either having a really good holiday or a really bad holiday. So hopefully all is good there, but it kind of put a nice um, punctuation mark on 2020. But that's okay, because as I said, right now it's 2021. Right, Henry? No. I said, right, Henry? I don't know what time you think it is. It's 2020. <laughs> uh, all right, it's going to be that kind of year, I guess. Let's see, news. Uh, what, what, what do we got going on? Oh, I forgot to mention in the last episode that, um, as you may know, because I talk about it all the time, I have a new short story collection out called Hell Serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables. Here's the thing. For 30 days, actually starting on Christmas Day, but you still have plenty of time. You Which can, it already started. Yes. You can go to goodreads.com, the uh, Hell Serial page over there, and enter a giveaway. I'm giving away two copies of the book. All you got to do is go over there and, and enter to win, uh, enter for a shot at winning those, and uh, and perhaps you can get a free copy of the book. So please go do that, check the book out, tell your friends, and uh, and help my 2021 get off to an even better start. So Wait, it's not 2021. <laughs> well, when it is, even though it is right now, uh, it'll get off to an even better start. Yeah, okay. Got a little bit of feedback to last week's episode. Uh, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you should, because this may be mildly spoilery. What we did last week, uh, Dave Champa from Champa and Klein, the Night Rider years, joined me to talk about a 1964 science fiction movie called The Earth Dies Screaming. That's how you have to say it. And part of our discussion was the fact that there is an, uh, an Atari game from 1983 with that title, I believe we covered it on episode 248, maybe, of the podcast. It was the episode that came out right before Halloween. The game is ostensibly inspired by the movie, but 
the two really have nothing to do with each other other than the title. Yeah, so Dave and I were talking a little bit about how, how you could make a game of uh, of this movie. Jim from Pie Factory had thoughts about that as well, and I thought this was a brilliant observation. Here's what he said. Listening to your latest Atari Bytes, I've seen the Earth die screaming, and it occurs to me that there's already a game that uses some of the plot points. When you guys hear this, you're going to be like me and go, Oh, of course. Robotron 2084. You have to save the humans, the giant robots are invincible, and you can kill the other enemies. If someone should put a bonus level where you destroy a radio transmitter, it'd be complete. I was dumbstruck. I said, well, obviously, yes, that's perfect. And I said something about how if, you know, if, if there was a way that if uh, a touch from the robots turned you into, uh, turned some of the humans into zombies attacking each other, then that would do it. And he responded that brains turn humans into progs. I thought that was a brilliant observation. So I went and looked up the premise of 20, uh, Robotron 2084. Uh, I'm not telling any, most of you, I'm not telling you something you don't already know. I'm sure most of you are very familiar with this game. But for the few of you who are not, here's the premise of Robotron 2084. Henry is marveling at my giant binder of Atari manuals. So here's the premise for Robotron 2084. At first, it was a technological breakthrough. Humans created the Robotrons, a species of robots so advanced they didn't need their inventors in order to think and act. But the Robotrons have turned on their creators. They're now determined to destroy humanity or reprogram the survivors and turning them into destructive mutants. So yeah, I haven't played Robotron for a while. Those few of you who have not played it, go play it. It's a really fun game. But yeah, that is clearly very similar to the premise of The Earth Dies Screaming. So yeah, that's a brilliant observation. Someone needs to do a, uh, what, a, a hack or, or, or modify Robotron somehow and turn it into the Earth Dies Screaming. Uh, I think that's a, a million think, dollar idea. Yeah. I think if it's on like the SD card um, thing, you can, down, you can download the game. Like, you know, like the SD card cartridge. Yeah. Like that thing. I think you could take the SD card and put it in your computer and download it on your computer download that game on your computer and then like and then like open it and like and then like open it in um and like a coding or programming website or something and then and then mess with the coding and your stuff yeah yeah uh definitely uh people do stuff like that all like that all the time, Henry. People actually know how to do that stuff, can uh, make new games all the time. Robotron 2084 itself is a new game made for the old Atari from the 80s. So, yeah, someone could do that. Someone could just flat out make an Earth Die Screaming Atari game that actually matches what goes on in the movie. If someone does that, let me know. Thanks for the brilliant insight, Jim. Uh, I feel better for having made that connection. All right, Henry, should we get on to this week's game? Sure. All right. This week's game is... <laughs> this new magic game is mine now! Mine! And that goody-goody prince who created it will never get it back! <laughs> I'll name it Dragonfire! <laughs> See that puny prince sneak across the bridge? That's my Dragonfire! <laughs> I'll never let the treasure be taken by that goody-goody namby-pamby! Sneaky little... Imagic's Dragonfire is for Atari 2600 and in television. Dragonfire from, uh, well, this is the part of the show where I attempt to pronounce iMagic, eMagic, and usually fail. So, it's Dragonfire from eMagic? 
1982. We gotta give thanks to Patrick McCarthy, Patreon supporter, for suggesting this game. He uh, is a uh, supporter at the $4 per month level. And at that level, uh, you get to suggest games for me to do and storify on the show. And this was one of his suggestions. And it was a good one. So, thanks for that. Now, how do we actually play this thing? Once again, I'm a little annoyed because eMagic has stolen my idea, you know, 40 years ago. And they have written their own story for what's going on in this game. So... Let's read that and see what they came up with. Do you want to help me here, Henry? No. <laughs> okay. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> Dragons have driven the royal court from the castle. Oh, we are lost. Lost, laments the king. Without our vast treasures, we cannot raise an army against these accursed dragons. Our kingdom must now languish under lizards. Oh, no, king. That's a, a wee bit racist, if you ask me, but all right. Nay, not so, my liege, replied the young prince. None knows that castle, those many bridges and storerooms. Storerooms? Really? Better than I. Give me leave, and I shall loot those lizards of their plunder and restore my lord to his birthright. Brave boy, said the king, fully pleased. But, he added darkly, beware dread dragon fire. All right, so the objective of this game is to reach the king's treasures. Uh, by running across the bridge. Uh, you're the prince, by the way. He must dodge fireballs tossed by dragon hatchlings. He nimbly ducks under the high ones and leaps over the low ones. Fortunately, the fireballs can't hurt the prince if he runs back into the tower at the right end of the bridge. When the prince reaches the left side of the bridge, he arrives in the storeroom. This storeroom thing seems kind of clunky to me. I, I would think they could come up with a better place to put the treasures, but all right. Now, all the medieval movies and, and TV shows I've seen, they never talked about storerooms. Anyway, he, the prince, is inside a hiding place he can return to any time. The storeroom is filled with beautiful objects and a fierce dragon whose very breath can cost the prince one of his seven precious chances. When the dragon looks the other way, the prince turns or runs to each object and retrieves it for the king, and when he has bravely cleared out the room of its treasures, a way to escape appears. He runs to it and reappears on the bridge, ready for another daring raid. Help the prince get as many treasures as possible before he's hit by fireballs or dragons. Dragon fire seven times. So that's basically it. You start out at the right side of the bridge. You run across to the left, dodging fireballs as you go. Moving the prince left to right involves moving the joystick left to right, obviously. Watch out for dragon fireballs. They're thrown high and low. If you're hit by a fireball, you lose one chance. To duck, you pull the joystick toward you. To jump, you press the red button. The prince leaps farther when he's running toward the fireballs, not just standing still. The prince can jump while he's ducking to avoid fireballs that come close together. I never quite mastered this, the little bit that I played it this morning, which will be uh, painfully evident when you watch the field report. To jump while squatting, pull joystick toward you and press button at the same time. Might I just say, for the, here, take a look, you people in the back. This is a very colorful manual. I was looking at white pages with green dragons and stuff, and now they're yellow pages, and now there's all sorts, there's a rainbow of colors on the next page, it's all very pretty. Anyway, cross the bridge safely and you reach the treasure room. Press the joystick to the left to leave a hiding place. Prince can't return to this hiding place for safety, can return to this hiding place for safety whenever he's in the room. Move the prince to every object in the room, but watch out for the dragon. When the last object has been taken, the exit appears at the upper left screen, uh, left of the screen. Move the prince to the exit and escape. After escaping, you reappear on the bridge. 
Get ready for another raid and another dragon. The treasures may be more valuable each time, but beware. Every dragon you meet is harder to beat! Exclamation point. Game is over when the prince has been hit seven times, by fireballs on the bridge, or by dragon fire in the treasure room. Your final score flashes on the screen. To play again, same level. Just press the red button. To change game variation or number of players, press the game reset switch, then press the button. Point values arrange anywhere from 10 points for a jug up to 400 points for a crown. You've also got lamps and goblets and helmets and candelabras and chests and harps and diamonds. Game variations, you, there are one and two player games it looks like. Uh, the two player games you take alternate turns, you're not playing at the same time. Players will find different treasures with the same dragon. Left player takes the first turn, left player scores black, right player scores red. Scores flash alternately at the end of the game when players have each used all seven chances. Level one, dragon number one is green and mean but slow. Blue is uh, getting meaner, red is very mad. Orange is smart, mad, and fast. Not unlike me. Tactical tips. Don't spend any more time on the bridge than you have to. Cross it as fast as you can and you'll encounter fewer fireballs. If you face an impossible combination of fireballs on the bridge, run back to the right tower if you can make it in time. You're safe there. I never quite picked up on that. I usually just let my guy die, which is why my scores were never very good this morning. Or you can make the prince squeeze through close training, close, close trailing fireballs by jumping from a crouch. Pull joystick and press button at the same time, which I also never mastered. In the treasure room, run fast to the objects. Keep moving. Return to the hiding place if you need a rest because the dragon never stops hunting. And that is how you play Dragonfire from iMagic? I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast, all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. The game was written by Bob Smith, published by eMagic, as I said. Originally released for the 2600, ported to the Intellivision, VIC-20, Commodore 64, Apple II, X ZX Spectrum, ColecoVision, and TRS-80 color computer. That's right, Henry, once upon a time, computers were black and white. Source code was put into public domain by developer Bob Smith on May 24, 2003. So there you go. The source code is public domain, Henry. All you gotta do is learn how to program, and you can uh, turn this game into anything you want. I know how to import stuff. Yeah? Well, there you go. You're on your way. Electronic Games in 1983 described Dragonfire as especially useful as an introduction to fantasy gaming for younger players, while still having enough thrills to please the rest. The game got a certificate of merit in the category of 1984 Best Video Game Audiovisual Effects, less than 16K ROM, at the 5th Annual RT Awards. A remake was announced in 2018 for the television Amico, but Wikipedia doesn't tell me if that actually ever happened or not. So if anyone knows, let me know. RetroGamesSuperHyper.com calls Dragonfire an unexpected favorite. It's not a game on the tip of too many tongues these days, but let me tell you, I discovered it back then, meaning in 1982, 
that's about as good and mean as a 2600 game gets. There's a whole story here about how this person got Dragonfire to begin with. The action is fast-paced, becomes positively frantic in the later levels. Seriously, by the time you reach the White Dragon, the highest level which repeats indefinitely until you lose all your lives, the dragon moves at blinding speeds and is utterly relentless in his attacks. One of the fastest-paced video games I've ever played. If you play Atari but Dragonfire was never on your radar, you need to change that ASAP. Atari Protos says that Dragonfire was originally called Cheese. Dragonfire originally started out as a cat and mouse game, in which the player, the mouse, had to outwit a deadly cat while grabbing all the pieces of cheese on the board. While the game changed significantly, some of Cheese's concepts can still be seen in the treasure room sequence, just replace the treasure with cheese. Alright, I can picture it. Dragonfire is fast-paced, a fast-paced action game that never lets up in its difficulty, keeps even the best gamer occupied for weeks. If anyone knows more of the history of why this game changed from cheese to treasure, let me know. All right. Well, on that note, after the break, we're dragging ourselves into the field report to play Dragonfire. Will the game have us breathing fire or just heavy breathing? to brag, but on my last game of Dragonfire, I got 280 points. I know, you're jealous. Just kidding, that's a terrible score. But it underscores the uh, fact that Dragonfire is not a walk in the Dragon Park. So, we're going to see what happens, and uh, this could be a very short field report. So, let's do it. I like the way this game looks to start with. It's a little intimidating how they're already shooting at me, and I haven't even walked on stage, as it were. Uh, but here we go. Ah. Quit shooting me. You're firing me. Um, it's a really good looking game. Uh, the treasures, oops, look like treasures. The dragon looks like a dragon. The hero looks really like Robin from Batman to me, but... Can I just say that, uh... This is, was an awesome score for me. 880 points. Maybe I should play all my games when I'm talking to you guys. Um, but yeah, bright colors. The gameplay is really hard. I think I even have it on the easy setting, although I'm not sure the difficulty settings really do anything. Whoa. So yeah, uh, I'm sure I'll have more to say in the regular episode, but uh, that's Dragonfire. Back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Car by Car podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's x-e-g-s, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in.
hey, let's take a break from you listening to me talk so that you can listen to me talk. Hell's Serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables, is the new short story collection from, well, me. Every box, or book, is chock full of bite-sized stories in every genre, from sci-fi to fantasy to literary fiction to cheesy spy stories and everything in between. Zombies in Love, Twisted Car Races, and the aforementioned Devilish Breakfast Food are just some of the tasty bites you'll find. Toy surprises? You bet. How about social commentary and the meaning of life? Beats a Dakota ring any day. With both funny stuff and drama, Hell's Cereal gives you the marshmallows and the toasted oat flakes. Oh, and words. Lots of those, too. Pick up Hell's Cereal, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, wherever you'd like to get your books. Not cereal. We have a special edition of What Game is Henry Playing while we podcast about a different game because he has been itching as we're sitting here to do his Rubik's Cube, which he's doing right now. It is surprisingly quiet. What cube are you using now, Henry? Nokia 11 and Pro. Say that again? Nokia 11 and Pro. And this is a, for those who aren't as familiar, this is a Rubik's Cube, right? Mm-hmm. What's special about it? It's better than Rubik's Band. Okay, so this is not a Rubik's brand cube, but it's still called a Rubik's cube, right? What's why? Why is it better? Because the core is better, and you and lube actually helps most of the time, and and it turns better. So it is lubricated to turn better and faster, and it's made to turn faster. Made to turn faster. What is your? You've been working on this for several weeks. What is your best time for, for solving cube? the cube? Uh, for any of them. My my best time for a 3x3 three three is 28 seconds. My best time for a cube is 23 seconds. And I don't know my... And I forgot my best time for 2x2. Two two. You just got a 2x2 two two for Christmas, right? Mm, and a cube. And a cube. Okay, so 3x3, three three, for anyone who doesn't know, that's the basic... What everyone recognizes a, as a Rubik's Cube, right? Yeah, it's, a, it's called the original Rubik's Cube. But it's not because the 2x2 two two was actually invented in like 1960 and, and not in like 1950s. And then I think the 3x3 three, the three three was invented in like, in like the 1970s. And the, and the person that made, that made, uh, the person that made, that invented the 2x2 two two actually, actually sued, sued the company Ideal because uh, Ideal was a person was a company distributing the Rubik's Cube at that time. He sued it. He sued them because for um because he made a pat the person that invented the two two got a patent for for the design. And he sued the ideal company for um for copying off his his core design. But those but it was but the it um he did the the suit was unsuccessful because because if you look at the two diagrams for the two by two and three by three, they're they're nothing alike for the core. So and the court saw that, so he so they dismissed it. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, look look at, look up pictures of the of the core for two by two and three by two because for for even number cubes. 
There has to be like inner inner plastic pieces to hold the pieces together. But with odd numbers, you don't have to do that. Hmm. So History lesson. I guess. So what do you like about the cube, Henry? The Rubik's Cube. Why, why do you spend so much time doing it? Because I like it. Okay. Just because you like it? Yeah, and I have nothing else to do. <laughs> oh, I can... We can't go anywhere. Well, we can't really go very many places, yeah. But I can find you things to do. Don't worry about that. So, here's the thing about Dragonfire. Henry, do we like Dragonfire? I haven't played it. To be fair, you haven't actually played it. You did the camera work for the field report. It looks fun. I was... It's tough. I was not prepared for how tough this game is. Well, it's not made... Um, it wasn't made by the whoever was making a toy game like the 80s. Yeah, I mean, E-Magic does some good games. Um, none of which I can think of at the moment. But uh, but this one is, I, I don't know what I expected. I had not played this game before, I don't think. But I was not prepared for how tough it is. But it's tough, in, a, in, in not in a way where it's like, this game is just unfair, I, I, you're never going to win this game. It's tough in the sense of, you want to keep playing, because you, you know you can you can beat it, but it's going to take a lot of practice. So I'm sure I'll spend some more time with it. It's a good looking game, colors are good. Movement is good. It looks like an Atari game, but it doesn't move. Like, the character doesn't move like an Atari game. Yeah, he moves really well, and he looks good. The treasure looks like what it's supposed to be. The dragon is good. It's all good things. Uh, I, I liked it a lot. I've been happy with the last few games we've done. Toy Shop Trouble was great. This one's great. I, I'm very pleased with this game. I'm glad Patrick suggested it. Good Thank job, you, sir. Patrick. Good job, Patrick. All right. Oh, now it's time for this. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. Henry, do you by chance have a story to tell people today? No. <laughs> you already told them the story of Rubik. Mm-hmm. Rubik. Rubik. I know, but I was thinking of Rubik. Is there like a dude named Rubik? It's Erno Rubik. All right. Well, here, he, you can he tell us that story. What's what's the deal with Erno Rubik? He he's the inventor of the three by three Rubik's cube. Okay. How did he do it? Why did he do it? Do you know? Oh, he wanted he wanted a twist. Uh, so he basically wanted a twisty puzzle, a twisty cube puzzle in a um that in a cube shape that's made up of separate cube cubes. That you can turn each side individually. Mm-hmm. So, so he did that, and he spent like a month, and he and so he made it, and then he he went he was moving the edges, and he noticed it was it was being scrambled. So he wondered if you could solve it. So we spent like a month in his in his room, locked up, figuring out how to solve it. Where's Erno Rubik from? He does um, Hungarian. He's Hungarian. Oh, okay. But. I think the the um the the reason people a lot of people like learn how to solve it is because of this kid. This kid um one day got a Rubik's cube and started taking it apart and realized that that all the centers move individually. So then he he made a way of how to solve it and he made a book out of it. And then he published it, and he got, like, a lot of monies from it. And he's, like, a kid. 
So he got really famous. Wow. And he got money. Cool. So because of that kid, there was if it wasn't for that kid, there wouldn't be any Rubik's Cube competitions. Huh. Because nobody would know how to solve it. Interesting. Interesting. Well, shout out to that kid. History. And, and shout out to Erna Rubik. He gave my kid something to do and uh, something for his parents to spend money on. So there you go. All right. Well, I also have a story. Nothing to do with the Rubik's Cube, though. This week's story is titled Dragon Fired. Glor, the last dragon of the Overland, soared over the massive island below. Mighty wings rustled the dense foliage as he glided by. Glor banked left as a seaplane glided in for a landing. He was startled by this mechanical bird. Whatever creatures lived on the island below, they were clearly magical. Friend or foe, Glor couldn't be sure. It seemed Glor wasn't the only new arrival to this foreign place. He wasn't sure how to feel about that. He wasn't sure how to feel about anything, really. Where was he? Why was he? Green and gold scales glinted in the sunlight as Glor came in for a landing on the side of the island farthest from where the mechanical winged beast had landed. Glor needed time to think before he engaged the enemy? He didn't know. Glor had once tamed the overland with fire and fury. Now he didn't really even know where he was or how he got here. Glor's sharp ears easily picked up the growl of the mechanical birds across the island. Despite his size, Glor moved silently across the beaches through the dense jungle. It was such a strange place. The overland was all jagged cliffs and bleak desert. This island, in contrast, was lush. Glor hated lush. Glor lowered himself as much as possible to crouch and peer between the fronds of a clump of palm trees. Were, were those humans? Why did it have to be humans? He glowered. People accused dragonkind of being cold and duplicitous, but the humans were so much more frightening. Mai Tai? A voice said from behind Glor. Glass or trough? Glor slowly turned his massive skull toward the voice, lowering his eyes into the face of the smiling mustachioed human standing before him in the Hawaiian shirt. Why do you approach me thus? Glor said. Well, the human said, in my line of work, Dave Shady, private investigator, when I come across someone hiding in the bushes, or, you know, palm tree, usually it means they're up to no good, and usually I'd bump them and cuff them. But on Forgotten Island... No good is what got us all here anyway, so I figure I can take a softer approach. Well, wetter anyway. Drink? Be gone, human, Glor said. Dave, the human said. My name is Dave. Most folks, though, call me Doggo. Glor considered this. Be gone, human, he said finally. Suit yourself, Doggo said. Orientation starts in an hour in the main lodge. Orion but Glor was interrupted by the rapid approach of a woman with glasses perched on her head and wearing a long white lab coat. Doggo, she said intently. You coming? We need six cc's of Mai Tai, stat. Well, that's a code red, Dr. Maggie, Doggo said. See you in the lodge, uh... Glor, the dragon said. Glor, overseer of the overlands, champion of the ancient realm, feared and fair protector of the true way. Doggo and Dr. Maggie shared a look. See you in the lodge, Glor, Doggo pointed east, a couple hundred yards that way. Dr. Maggie and Doggo disappeared behind, uh, back through the trees. Glor's weary old eyes followed them. The two of them joined dozens of other humans, 
talking and laughing. Some were dressed similarly to Dr. Maggie and Doggo. Others wore human uniforms, delivery drivers or fast food workers or mail carrier outfits. Or they wore business suits or sometimes casual dress. Men stood at bars and clinked beer mugs or stood around water coolers. Women sat in boardrooms or courtrooms or in crowds of other women, or they emoted alone quietly in corners that seemed to appear and then disappear at random points around the courtyard. Glory didn't understand or like any of it. But he had seen too many crowds of humans, and it always ended the same way. Dragons died. Well, not today. Glory incinerated the lot of them with his great flame. All trace of the humans was gone. But just as quickly, another collective of humans reappeared. This time they were dressed similarly, but also some new ones appeared. Roman warriors, confused fathers talking to their wise-cracking children, bare-breasted queens and men in chicken suits. Glor crept cautiously into the clearing. He unleashed his fire again, and again the humans disappeared, only to reappear again in slight variations. Talking horses and dogs this time, teenagers that look way older than teenagers, cartoon ducks and taped superheroes. Not that Glor knew what any of them were, of course, but he knew he could destroy them, and so he did. Again. The column that shrouded such a cleansing attack was disturbed by... Singing? Be they private eyes or senators' wives, wisecracking doctors or philosophical bartenders, pop culture loves them now and then, but eventually their attention falters again. Where do the tropes go, those TV icons, that we all love and rely on? They fade away, banished to the island to stay until our time comes once again. Glor's huge eyes narrowed as he glared down into the stern face of a beat top that's seen it all. I'm Toon Top, he said, always on duty. Explain, human, Glor said, before I obliterate you. All of us were popular for a while, then we're not. People don't want singing cops or dragons right now, but one day they will. Until then, the cop spread his arms wide. Enjoy the luxury. Glor regarded the armed cop with the perfect pitch. Do you enjoy the luxury? Our dad doesn't even like wearing pants, interrupted a preteen boy who suddenly appeared in the clearing in a multicolored sweater. If he had any pants that fit, you mean, said the boy's younger sister, the laugh track distracting from the stilted delivery. (laughs) The singing cop's stern look never faltered. We do what we have to do for the people who want us to do it, he said. I do not understand you, Grave said, Glor said gravely. He didn't understand the words, but he thought he understood the message. The island, this island, was his home, for now. But it seems I have no choice but to stay. The little girl whipped her pigtails about her head before thrusting an arm toward Glor. You want a peanut butter sandwich? It got mustard on it. <laughs> The overland would have to care for itself, it seemed, until Glor could return. More likely, he realized, he would appear in some other realm. Perhaps he would emerge terrorizing villagers, or leading the charge against evil wizards, or... Oh, God. Or... Glor sank on his haunches as he realized the possibility. It was possible he would return to the public consciousness in one of those movies where a kid befriends a monster that does wacky things for the child's amusement. That was possible, too. Glor considered this fate. I believe I will be in need of a Mai Tai, he said to the singing cop, who was now humming softly to himself. I can tie my shoes, the little girl said. See? She held up her left foot. Sticky white glue dripped from the laces.
<laughs> I helped, said the little boy proudly. She won't never have to tie them again. <laughs> Glor's nostrils glowed red, and the kids scampered playfully around the burning foliage underneath a raucous laugh track. <laughs> Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the End of the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Henry for joining me today. Thanks, Henry. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do the rest of the day? You're gonna you're gonna go out and, and be excited no. and enjoy 2021, right? No. Yeah, that's what we're doing today. We're enjoying 2021. It's not. Kids, man. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs "Reformat," "Take a Chance," and "Pinball Spring." Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme, and thanks to at M Tarp for the "What Game Is Henry Playing?" while we podcast about a different game theme. This is my regular shout out. Anyone who has ideas for theme music for any of the segments we do on the show, even if it's a segment we already have music for, if you have another idea, send it to me, uh, and I can mix things up a little bit. Fly your personal dragon over to Apple Podcast Castle and fire off a five-star review of this podcast. Uh, as I understand it, it doesn't really matter what you say in the review, although I hope you say nice things, but that five stars will help, uh, you know, tingle the, uh, you know, tickle the, the tinglies of Apple Podcasts and help the show get noticed a little bit. So consider doing that, you know, with all this extra time you got in 2021. Email the show at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also look us up on Instagram. We haven't gotten one of these for a while, but don't forget, you can leave us a voicemail too. Henry and I are not going to answer the phone, but you can call 563-265-1978 and leave a message about pretty much anything you want and there's a good chance I'm going to play it on the show. So please keep that in mind. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com. There's stuff over there. Um, show notes, episodes, information about this podcast, Atari Bytes, and my other show, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown, are, are over there. There's also um, a page dedicated to books that I've written, including, I may have mentioned once or twice, Hell Serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables, which, oh, by the way, you may have heard, uh, there's a giveaway going on. Go to goodreads.com, look up that book, and enter the giveaway for a chance to win one of two copies, print copies, of that book. And there's other stuff at the website, too. Consider supporting the show by subscribing on the Patreon page, patreon.com, uh, Atari Bytes. Not only will you be helping out the show and gaining my eternal gratitude, you also have a chance to get stuff. For example... You could get access to episodes early instead of waiting for the day that they come out. You could also get bonus content, including uh, every week we film a video of me, usually very poorly, playing the game for that week. Uh, you can watch that video if you subscribe at the $3 per month level. At the $4 per month level, you are like you can be like Patrick McCarthy and actually suggest games for me to play and storify on the show, like this week's game, Dragonfire. You can also help me out by keeping an eye on the current patrons, 
which are Michael Tyler, Jose Cazeta, Sean Courtney, Aerospike, M. West, Jim Goble, and Patrick McCarthy, who I owe great thanks to, but who I also know need some adult supervision. So go over there and subscribe to, on the Patreon and keep an eye on those guys for me. All right, we're just about out of here. All that's left is to tell you what's happening next time. So I'm going to do that right now. Next time on Atari Bytes. We're playing a game called Acid Drop. Um, I don't know why we're doing that other than it's on my list. I must have seen the title and thought, it's called Acid Drop. I got to check that out. So we're going to do that next week. Uh, should be interesting as 2021 surges forward. Anything else, Henry, before we go? No. All right. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.